listening to Radio Voices. I'm your host, DJ Dynamat. This is KXSFLP, San Francisco 102.5. I am so pleased to announce that we have Joseph Manafra from NASA joining the studio tonight. And we're going to be talking all kinds of science, especially about the Artemis Return to the Moon mission, which, oh man, I am just excited. So excited. So keep it tuned. I picked out some stuff to melt your face, and it's going to be from all over space. So keep it tuned. You are listening to Radio Voices. I am DJ Dynamat. Now it's time for my main man, James Brown.
Wasn't that just beautiful, everybody? You are listening to Radio Voices. I'm your host, DJ Dynamat. This is KXSFLP San Francisco. And I am pleased to announce that in the studio with me right now, I am joined by Joseph Manafra from NASA Ames. How are you, Joseph? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. This is really exciting. Yeah, I'm excited myself. I, uh, I have been telling people about this for a while. You and I got a bond over our mutual love of uh, corny puns. How, do, <laughs> how does NASA put together a mission? They plan it. <laughs> I have said that every day, and my kids are like, please. <laughs> <laughs> and then here I am bringing it up like it's like the freshest gem on the planet. I know. I was thinking, gosh, should I change it up on them? But no. <laughs> nah, nah. Nah. Ask them uh, what kind of snake is 3.14 meters long. Oh, man. Pie? A python. Mm. <laughs> they're they're gonna, probably going to hate that one, too. So now I'm, I'm excited. So we've got a lot to talk about. So we're going to be we're going to normally with my interviews. I just kind of bring people on for a brief amount. But with with Joseph, I am excited to just we're going to be talking multiple times throughout the night about all kinds of different stuff. So for people who are space cheerleaders and space enthusiasts or space cadets, these past 10 years have been like the greatest 10 years in, in history. And we're making discoveries practically every day that like exceeded what people were making for centuries and and people are just kind of like oh yeah we landed on a comet and brought a sample back whoop de doo and it's like no you don't understand <laughs> like no no president on the planet could have commanded such a thing no emperor no no king ever had access to finding out like let's take a look at the exoplanets around the stars and like let's fly a little helicopter on mars and and now with what you're up to it's so cool and uh, so let's let's give you give the people some background here you are part of nasa ames here in the bay area absolutely i oh gosh i started uh 20 years ago and uh didn't even know i got a job at ames research center when i first started i was working for a little tiny company uh doing some software oh nice and uh it was actually pretty exciting because they told me to show up to work and i drive up to ames research center front day and i was like what the heck is this <laughs> You know, I mean, not many people don't know that there's a NASA center right there in yeah. Mountain View, and it's been there forever. It's the second oldest center in all of NASA. There's 10 centers across the country, and the oldest being Langley in Virginia, not related to the CIA, huh. but it's... Uh, sort of. <laughs> but as, as by as name. Yeah, as much as we're going to admit. <laughs> and and uh, basically, after the Wright brothers, uh, you know, developed a plane, uh, the U.S. government's like, oh, my gosh, we have to control and, and manage airspace. Yeah. And so Langley was born. And my wife, who's actually here with me right next to me, uh, she's from Langley. Oh, so no way. Are you serious? She, yep. And uh, I recruited her to Ames Research Center from Langley. Um, she claims that's the oldest uh, the oldest center. You, you can pipe up and say hello yeah, to feel, people. Feel hey. free to say hello, Kimberly. Hey, it's the birth center of NASA. There she goes. There we go. Like the birth it. center of NASA and you as well. So <laughs> there must be some kind of connection yeah. that doesn't have anything at all whatsoever to do with the CIA. So, and, right. So, yeah. So um, now NASA Ames is up to a million different things. I mean, so many different things. Like uh, the, the DART with the redirection of asteroids, the... Okay. You know, the microprocessors, the little teeny, like, super robots on on the space station? Absolutely. Actually, NASA gave a, uh, <clears throat> a grant many, many years ago to a woman at Stanford University who had this idea that she wanted to prove, as in theory, of uh, miniaturizing micro uh, technology, mm -hmm. if you will. So it, it was her 
proof of concept that developed the silicon chip that Texas Instrument basically exploited. No way. And nobody hears about this poor woman. And uh, but you know she changed the world. You know many people don't realize Silicon Valley. It's it's called Silicon Valley, but yeah. actually it's hard drives. You know, <laughs> so it should have been called Oxidation Valley. <laughs> but, but well, there's uh, still time. <laughs> <laughs> there's still time. But, um, you know, one of the things I, I brought show and tell stuff because I, I knew it was a radio station and nobody's going to see it. But yeah, um, I brought it. I wanted to share with you because, you know, when you talk about things that blow people's mind and what kind of really inspired me, I collected meteorites before I ever thought I'd work at NASA. So it's kind of this manifest destiny. Wow. And I brought some I brought a rock. I'm going to hand it. Maybe we can try to get so you could hold it. And, and I want you to hold it because it's actually older than our sun. Holy cow. So, so this is this is a rock that, you know, you could describe if you'd like. But it has a little fusion crust, and it's the most common rock that actually falls to Earth. Huh. Thousands of tons of this material fall to Earth every day. Oh, wow, through, like, micrometeorites? Oh, absolutely. And so many of them fall into the ocean and deserts and stuff, so they aren't found. And, and a rock like that, if it was if it fell anywhere there was rain, in two years that would just disintegrate. And, oh, wow. Because there's chlorine and all kinds of caustic material in our in our weather huh. that in space these rocks usually don't don't uh, encounter so but, but that is older than like, the sun wow so did this form on a different planet in a different solar system and then happen to be here so that is an undifferentiated rock which means that it hasn't gone through the planetary building process huh. so there's metal little metal bits in it and it's basically dust that comes together through static charge that's what actually attracts these these molecules in space wow electricity exactly so cool any friction because the you know the airless you know it, any friction just causes the static charge in space wow and um anyway you get rocks like that that actually collide together and they create a lot of heat and pressure and essentially when you get lots of these things clumping together the metal starts to melt and sink to the center of the object as, as it gets bigger and bigger wow and through accretion which is essentially meteorite impacts or these rocks coming together uh that's the second planetary building process so you have ah. differentiation and, and then uh, volcanism starts because you'll get this uh, molten uh, core of metal uh -huh. very dense which this is i brought another one Ooh. and so i'll trade you <laughs> again you're holding whoa that one's a, heavy it's super heavy and that is uh the core of a planetary body that doesn't exist anymore. No way. And so there was a heavy bombardment period in the early development of our solar system. And so uh, during these, these planetary bodies, billions of years as they're building up, when they start colliding, they start having catastrophic events. And now you have these bits of these bigger planetary bodies floating around. Whoa. And so what's interesting is you have these simple stardust molecules that are very primitive. And as they collide and into the process, they get more complex molecules. Huh. And more complex molecules collide, and they get more complex molecules. Wow. Hence the seeding of Earth with possible, uh, or basically yeah. organics, where yeah. you would call them volatiles. And so the, the cool thing about it is um, they're mainly from geopolitics logical processes but it doesn't take much to turn them into uh, biological processes yeah yeah for sure i mean once they got some water in the right temperature and maybe a little bit of electricity and so we have scientists at ames that study that ames is basically a fundamental science center 
cool. And that means that uh, I, as an engineer, I always wanted to exploit the science. I'm like, what, is, what good is it if I can't do anything with it? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> and so uh, I've had fun with a lot of these. Fundamental scientists, they just want to answer questions. Sure. And so Ames is one of those facilities that they just want to answer questions. So when somebody has an idea, like the micro you know, controllers and stuff that this woman had a grant at Stanford, uh, that kind of stuff comes out of Ames Research Center. Wow, that's so cool. That is really cool. Yeah, no, Ames is definitely going to be shaping the future of, of the world to come and, and worlds to come, as it sounds. Now, um, the exciting part that uh, you're, you're involved with is the, um, the Return to the Moon, the Artemis Project. Absolutely. And so one of the projects I'm working on, uh, it's called Viper, and it's a rover going to the South Pole of right. the moon. And, you know, that's an acronym, but the V stands for volatiles. So essentially, <laughs> we're going to go to the South Pole of the moon because we know there's ice there. Sure. There are craters that have not seen the light of day for billions and billions of years. Essentially, the oblique angle from the sun never goes over the crest of the crater. And so you have this dark shadow, cold uh, sink, if you will, for molecules to get in and get trapped. So with the moon being tidally locked, it never has a chance to turn that direction towards the sun. And then we found this out through the, it's a 3M, is that what it's called? The, or the, the, the MMM, the, the, the moon mineral mapping. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um, so basically the, the moon does get sun all around it, uh, because as it's going around earth and earth is spinning, it will get oh, all around us. Correct. And, but at the, at the, at the poles mm. you have craters at the poles that have huge mountain crests and the sun coming in at a full oblique angle never gets to the bottom never of the gets to the bottom of the crater it's filled with tons of ice oh wow and we found that out because we had a mission that basically we we sent uh, um, a spacecraft into it we just basically crashed now, it into now was it. that the indian mission with the chandra no that's uh, uh that's chinese that one Right, Chang'e is Chinese, but we what we did is we had uh, L cross, and we basically shot a piece of it, and we had another piece. Uh, it was almost the size of a school bus, and we just basically shot it into the into the moon and created this wow. vapor, and we were able to see it on Earth. We basically recorded uh, the data. Oh, and that's where we were able to see ice come out as a as a mist in the <clears throat> implosion. So. Exactly. And so we, well, we found, so I work for the Solar System Exploration Research Virtual Institute. It's a big, long yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But we had to change it from Lunar Science Institute, which is what it was prior, um, because at one point we weren't going to the... Actually, if they can get some hydrogen out of that water to send their stuff back, you know, might might be worth it for them. So. Absolutely. And and when you think about it, in the in the early 50s or so, NASA's job was to make the airline industry what it is today. So, you know, we had to make the planes safer. We had to make sure that there were requirements that anybody was building. They were going to build to a certain standard. Oh. NASA's doing that now for low Earth orbit. We're, we're oh. making that commercial, but we have to make the standards. Ah, okay. Okay, with the guy from Despicable, like uh, the bald one, and yeah. like, uh, and then like the SpaceX guy. Yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> the bald one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's shown a complete lack of regard. So I can see why you guys need to be watching him. Good job there. Like, uh, like that guy. No, they need like 20 of you on him. So, uh, no, that's awesome. Um, 
we are going to be speaking more with Joseph and possibly Kimberly. We'll see if uh, we can get her enticed into this. I uh, heard she's a real pro on the mic. So um, you are listening to Radio Voices. This is KXSFLP San Francisco 102.5 FM. Oh, and this one goes out to Rakia. This is Audrey Hepburn with Moon River here on Radio Voices. I love it. Hard to catch that herd, but they ain't caught them yet. 
For they gotta ride forever on that range up in the sky On horses snorting fire As they ride on, hear their cry Save your soul from hell or riding on a rain. Then cowboy, change your ways today or with us you will ride. But trying to catch the devil's herd. Across these endless stars.
Looking at Earth through telescope, my spaceship is clean, and I love my job. Music of space crawls in my ear. I'm dreaming of girls and six pack of beer. They're still searching for us. How feel like the filling in a club sandwich? According to that map, there's only one way out of here. Through that door and up those stairs. KXSF, LP, San Francisco. Time to throw out all those ratty t-shirts you've been living in for the last 16 months. Snag some new swag at the KXSF online store in partnership with Bonfire. Score shirts in a variety of colors and designs, including those from some of your favorite KXSF shows. Rep the best independent community radio station in the Bay. Go online now to kxsf.fm slash merch and shop till you drop. Hey, this is Henry Chadwick from... 
Henry Chadwick. KXSF has been supporting local businesses and providing a platform for tons of local artists and bands such as myself. But they need your help to keep doing what they're doing. Donate online now at kxsf.fm. Thanks for supporting the local music scene by supporting nonprofit community radio KXSF 102.5 FM, San Francisco. California, like all our Western neighbors, is in the grips of a historic drought, and the signs are everywhere. From worsening wildfires to the increasing appearance of once-shy wildlife roaming urban areas. While much of this is out of our control, there is something we can all do. Conserve water and minimize water waste. Make water conservation a way of life. Learn more by going to saveourwater.com. This message is brought to you by the folks at KXFX. Ooh, that was very professional. Nice job there. All right. Okay, so now, now Kimberly and Joseph can tell their parents they missed their graduation. So welcome to the radio, you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of the KXSF team. So we are just delighted to have you here. Um, in case you were just tuning in, I uh, this is Radio Voices. I am DJ Dynamat, and I am joined with Joseph Manafra, who is a uh, scientist at the Ames Research Center in uh, Silicon Valley and part of the very exciting Viper mission, which is freaking cool and a cool name like that's not a like a weak one that's not like we're part of like the earthworm mission or something like that absolutely and then uh i am delighted that uh, we also have kimberly manafra joining us here who is probably going to be mostly quiet but in just in case she feels like saying anything we've we've, we've got her all ready to go it's the joe nasa show <laughs> there you go there you go so um now we've we've given people kind of an overview let's get into the nuts and bolts here so um the Viper mission is going to be going to the moon. It's part of there's there's multiple things taking place. Correct. Like, and it's it's this like giant orchestra of of multiple teams and multiple departments and people all over the planet working on making sure that these things happen at the right time. But the goal is as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I understand and and by all means correct me if I'm wrong here. You're going to be working on the part that's going to be extracting ice from the from the south pole from a crater. You're going to be separating the ice into hydrogen and oxygen. Well, essentially, it's a demonstration that we can do what's called in situ resource utilization. So, you know, it's an old term. They say that it's about $10,000 a pound to take anything off the earth. And, you know, who knows, give or take. But it's a lot of money. And you can imagine how much water is really precious up, sure. up in space. And, so and you, heavy. And you're not going to pay you know, $10,000 for a half a gallon of water, right? I, I thought it was a million dollars, honestly, so it must have gone down. Well, and, and you know, these, when you think about it, we're sending more, uh, we have a lot of more commercial entities going up into space, and our government basically told NASA that uh, we have to buy the rockets you know, off the shelf. We basically have to commercialize. Sure. And so, but, you know, we will build rockets that commercial won't make. And so NASA is building a giant rocket. Um, if you remember the Saturn V, sure, uh, that was the largest rocket at one point, uh, seven and a half million pounds of thrust. Now that one got beat by the Atlas V for the Sun mission, correct? The the Parker Solar Probe that became the new the new chief of giant rockets. Exactly. And so what we want to do though is if we put vehicles or anything big on the moon, we we need to make this big rocket. Sure. So 
Um, but the, it's it's not really commercially viable because we're not going to have a lot of business on that particular machine. In the beginning. So, in the beginning. And so this is why NASA is building that rocket mm. uh, as, as opposed to Lockheed or one of these other companies. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, normally that would be kind of a ULA thing. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, with, with this one, it sounds like NASA is probably going to – I mean – and it, it probably won't be the first time. I mean, we go up there with a giant rocket. We're probably going to need to send giant rockets like in, in a wagon train over and over again to like build that base. Well, the perfect customer for a giant rocket is a telescope. Sure. So, uh, you know, we just sent the James Webb telescope. That one's uh, exciting. Oh, my gosh. It's very exciting. It's a million miles from Earth, and uh, the mirrors are deployed, and I, I believe right now they're trying to uh, focus them all yeah. on the same point. So Yeah, the origami is unfolding, and... Uh, it's it's uh it's crazy. I've been telling people about the James Webb, I swear, like my whole adult life. And now finally it's out there and it's happening and it's almost like I can't even believe it with all the delays and all the things and all the things that like went behind it. And I mean, what was it? Like 10 10 billion dollars is like the like something of- like that. And, and you know, here's the thing. When we first contracted that telescope, we knew we didn't have the technology to build it at that point. Oh yeah. So when you think about it, that that's a hard thing to, to pocket when we don't even know the technology yet that we're trying to build. This is why the overruns and everything. Sure. Because we had to learn along the way that there's new technologies we have to fill. Yeah. But those go to jobs. Definitely. Uh, highly paid engineers for you know 10 years or more and that goes into our communities and you know the money stays on earth it doesn't yeah. go anywhere <laughs> no 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 i mean i'm i'm 100 percent behind space the space mm. race happens on earth and i mean it's yeah. american people who are building you know rocket i mean people all over the planet are building rockets and you know it's only been benefiting them like india is making leaps and bounds absolutely and, and japan's doing awesome stuff and what europe's doing is really cool and there are countries like Colombia that have a space agency now because wow. everybody wants to be a part of it. And be, so Ames Research Center invented the CubeSat. Are you familiar with the CubeSat? Um, so, I am, but let's tell, the, let's tell the listeners about it a little bit. Yeah, so it's a, exciting. A, a CubeSat is basically a, a tiny little satellite that you could hold in your hand. And it was basically an idea that some Lockheed individuals, I used to work for Lockheed, and so they were trying to do something small and uh we call it it's a basically i don't know maybe one cubit it's one cubit yeah mm-hmm, buy one cubit yeah so this is getting into what my wife works with and so she basically licensed a lot of this technology that comes Low out cost of these. technology but, demonstrations really exactly the, the cubits yes <laughs> and so it started with a thing called pharmasat and basically we had we could test pharmaceutical uh, chemistry in space, and so simple experiments, if you will, and they could be deployed on larger experiments that had extra room on the on the spacecraft. Sure. So it was a way to market, you know, getting that ten thousand dollar cost down for small experiments. Oh, for sure, yeah. Well, now every school in the country could now make one of these little things, yeah. and uh, it became an awesome way to get the public involved and get uh, actually industry involved. And a lot of the stuff we take for granted, this off-the-shelf technology, is because of drivers. Sure. You know. Well, I mean, there's tons of things that started out in space that definitely benefited us on Earth. I mean, I don't know how many times I've used GPS or, you know, my eggs slid off a pan because of Teflon or, you know, like uh, it was like. I'm, I'm happy that the troops are dependent are defended by Kevlar and absolutely the co- the the uh, camera on a chip on your phone is a NASA technology. Sure, and, 
And I mean, like, even Von Braun, like, when the V2 rocket landed, yeah. he's like, are you, what are you feeling? He's like, well, the rocket did great. It just landed on the wrong planet. Exactly. And, and, I, I, I love that. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you made a face like you've heard that story before. <laughs> it's, just, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, you know? You know, we learn a lot from mistakes. I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, mistakes, you don't learn anything when things go right, typically, because you've pretty much knew what you were doing sure but sometimes things go right and it's not because of the right reason mm -hmm. uh, but when mistakes happen you know you learn from those yeah it's, it's only an adventure when things go unplanned so yeah we've had some issues you know in science class in america with you know kids wanting to get that a and so they essentially make a theory and they they, they test to it as opposed to test it mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's 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 a, an amazing thing. But uh, going back to like James Webb and, and, you know, what really blows my mind, you know, you wake up one day and you're like, wow, we're going to look back to before the lights turned on. Sure. You know, before stars lit up. Yeah. I mean, it just blows your mind. Like, yeah. What was before that? I don't well, know. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, just what we learned with the deep field, deep field with Hubble. I mean, this is going to just open that up to, you know the thousandth degree and it's it's exciting i mean we have no idea what we're about to discover within the next 10 years and it's probably going to just change how we feel about everything absolutely and, and you think about it we we know this now that every star every twinkle in light you see out there actually has a planetary system yeah yeah we now know there are solar systems if they're not a whole you know galaxy right so the billions and billions or trillions and trillions of stars even more that we can see exactly exactly yeah. of the few that we can see there's probably planets around every one of them and, and there's probably life out there all over i mean the, mm -hmm. the idea that uh you know we're that special uh, you know you look at stars and the light gets to us it takes so long for the light to get to us so long and and sometimes that that just one star the light you know life could have come and gone thousands of times on those planetary bodies, you know, by that star. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's looking at Earth right now, the what they're seeing is from billions of years ago. So they're not going to see our satellites or our space station or our little moon base, like uh, for a few, you know, million years. Like, uh, and then by that point, we hope we're at least ready to fight them. <laughs> well, and so this is the cool thing about James Webb. Somebody had this awesome idea. I think it was last week. I'd probably, you know, before that, I'm sure. But basically, they could use James Webb to look for artificial LED lights. Oh, By the wow. way, another NASA technology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. I mean, when you think about the laser, that's a relatively recent invention yeah. by a guy who's still alive. Yeah. And it's changed everything. I mean. And these light-emitting diodes that, you know, are everywhere was basically uh, solving a problem. You couldn't put light bulbs on on the shuttle you know so in, in the space station you needed something that was going to last longer use low wattage and huh. you know and so somebody's like i have this idea and like go, go home and figure that out we yeah. have other problems to solve it doesn't need any oxygen <laughs> it doesn't isn't affected by vibration and so. and one cool thing is you know we use these lights in some of our equipment and sensors and things and there's a guy that we met this is again getting into you know kimberly's line of work but there's a guy looking at uh toilets and he's like hey there's this sensor that nasa developed that if you look down in the toilet we'll actually find a marker for cancer what colorectal cancer yeah wow colorectal cancer he's like that's a repurposing of technology that NASA did not intend it to do. Sure. And yet, if we could put that in toilets, people could pretty much 
figure out that they might have something they need to go test it. Yeah, that's a surprise that when NASA built that laser, they weren't planning on pointing it at someone's bum. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, think about, you know, well, what other wavelengths, you know, to look for other markers? Sure. You know, that's non-invasive. That's crazy. That's awesome. That is so cool. Well, remote sensing technology that was meant for observing the Earth's atmosphere and other things uh, actually was a contributor to digital mammography. So huh. the traditional mammographies did not have that level of detail. And wow. so NASA technology you know, came so to save cool. the day again. That Got licensed awesome. and yeah. people had big dreams to try to make it do something that we had never tried before. That is so cool. Yeah. And that's what I love about going back to the moon, because what we got out of Apollo from all the spinoffs and all the technology that we push, it, it's the constraints of space that innovation truly happens. Yeah. Because we take everything for granted here on Earth. I mean, you're just talking about water conservation in that last, uh, you know, PSA, you mm -hmm. call it, right? Totally, yeah. Public but, service uh, Okay, yeah. so you think about this. An astronaut in space is living in pretty much a closed-loop system. Sure. Nothing in, nothing out. If you could live more like an astronaut, you'd be as green as possible here on Earth. Well, we are in a closed-loop system here. We just don't want to admit it. Right. <laughs> Essentially, we're all sharing it. Yeah. And some, uh, some are better players than others. And so uh, it, it's very exciting about that. Awesome. Well, so uh, i got to announce the music that we played. We're going to be playing some more music, and then we're going to be back to discussing more stuff with NASA here. So you heard Rocket Man by the Red Elvises. We had the Moonlight Sonata from Beethoven. And uh, we had Lover's Moon from Luscious Jackson. The Riders in the Sky by the Sons of the Pioneers. That one's a shout-out to Boyd out there. And we had Moon River with Audrey Hepburn and New York 1979 by Laika and the Cosmonauts. Laika, shout-out to the first little doggy out in space. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, then we had uh, out, uh, Oakland's own uh, Phenomenauts with the Infinite Frontier. And so now, um, one of the OG Rocket Men himself, this is William Shatner with Rocket Man here on Radio Voices. She packed my bags last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. I miss the earth so much, I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space. On such a timeless flight. I am at home. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm a 
Rocket Man. Rocket Man, burning out his fuse up here alone. Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there's no one there to raise them. my job five days a week. A rocket man. A rocket man. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time till touchdown brings me around again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. No, 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 no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man. Burning out his fuse up here alone. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time. Until touchdown brings me around again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. No, 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 no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man. Burning out his fuse up here, alone. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time. And I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be
You are listening to Radio Voices. I'm your host, DJ Dynamite. I am pleased to announce that I am joined by Joseph and Kimberly Manafra. And this is KXSFLP San Francisco. So I was just barely telling uh, Joseph and Kimberly about how I wrote a poem about space. And now, now I got to tell you guys the poem here on space. So, yeah, now I got to put my poem where my mouth is, I suppose. So, <laughs> love it. All right. <clears throat> Uh, this one's called Beetlejuice. Oh, yes. I always liked to look at the stars. I couldn't understand much of the constellations. I couldn't look at a group of stars and see a turtle or a hunter or some maiden pouring water. However, I was fascinated by what looks like the five stars around the belt of Orion. Orion is only visible in the northern hemisphere in the winter. And something about being outside in the cold, looking at the stars, that I've been compelled to consider my significance in the face of such isolation. When I found out that the three pyramids great pyramids aligned along those three stars it became apparent i wasn't the only one who felt for out of all the countless stars those would have significance over the winters of looking at the same stars i began to give them importance i would answer to them a sense because i would gauge how far i'd grown since i last saw them then i read about how one of them beetlejuice could go supernova and be brighter in the sky than venus for a few hours and then vanish and then the winter would come there'd be four stars where once i answered to five 
I learned that Betelgeuse is 640 light years away. Perhaps it's exploded already, and the evidence of this demise is hurtling towards us in space. And I realize that these stars are the same thing as the photographs of my deceased relatives, that I look in their eyes, eyes that are long gone, and yet I still answer to them. And I wondered, since our closest star after the sun is 4.2 light years away, what if every single star has already exploded, and the evidence hasn't reached us yet, and the sky is truly dark, except for these old photographs of stars? And how will this alter my significance? And who will I answer to in the cold and in the dark? Insert snapping here. All right, this is uh, Walking on the Moon by Infected Mushroom. I am DJ Dynamat. This is Radio Voices.
Alrighty, you are listening to Radio Voices. We have some special announcements for you, and we'll be back here with more on the show. Holy escape hatch! Yes, Robin. Most refrigeration systems as large as this one in the Bruce Wayne Ice Arena have emergency exits. It's lucky you remember the one behind that vaporizing tube when you did. You're seldom wrong, old chum, but a split second is longer than you realize. KXSFLP, San Francisco. Batman, if ever you see Mr. Wayne, and he asks about me and Mr. Freeze, would you tell him something Rabelais once said? Rabelais? Of course. To each his own, as the woman said when she kissed her cow. Hey you, time to throw out all those ratty t-shirts you've been living in for the last 16 months. Snag some new swag at the KXSF online store in partnership with Bonfire. Score shirts in a variety of colors and designs, including those from some of your favorite KXSF shows and DJs. Rep the best independent community radio station in the Bay by going online now to kxsf.fm slash merch and shop till you drop. Hey, it's Matt Nathanson. KXSF has been ruling it in 2020, supporting local businesses and providing a platform for tons of local artists and bands. But KXSF has taken a financial hit this year, too, and they need your help now to keep doing what they're doing. Donate online at kxsf.fm. Thanks for supporting the local music scene by supporting nonprofit independent radio. KXSF. 102.5 FM, San Francisco. Alrighty, and we have one more special announcement for you. The Community Music Center is a San Francisco vital hub for music education and performance anchored in the city's Mission District and the outer Richmond area. Founded in 1921, CMC is a nonprofit organization providing high-quality music instruction to anyone, regardless of financial means. That's 100 years of love of music, inspiring students to reach their fullest potential. For information on classes, summer camps, or how you can help CMC enrich scholarships for in-need students, just go to sfcmc.org. Well done. <clears throat> Support for KXSF comes from Open Mind Music, a haven for record lovers since 1994. Henry at Open Mind believes music soothes the soul, inspires change, and makes us move. Find a wide variety from Abba to Zappa, funk to punk, bebop to hip-hop, including a new and used LP section, vintage turntables, local art, and a chance to meet Roxy the Doxy. Ooh, they got a puppy. Uh, come find your groove in record time at Open Mind Music, 5521 College Avenue near Rockridge, Bart in Oakland. East Bay represent. So, uh, music-wise, you got to just hear Deep Purple with Space Truckin', and we had the Moon Riders with Weatherman, the B-52s with There's a Moon in the Sky Called the Moon, and uh, we had the Phenomenauts with the Calvin Moon, and Infected Mushroom with Walking on the Moon, and Dead Kennedys with Moon Over Marin, and we started off the set with William Shatner with Rocket Man. So you might be detecting a theme here. There's a bit of a space theme, something about the moon. And that is uh, due to my most illustrious guests here, straight from freaking NASA. I can't believe I get to say that in real life. This is awesome. Thank you both so much for coming in. Um, we have Joseph and Kimberly Manafra. This is a uh, NASA power couple that is part of the Ames team and uh, making all kinds of things happen, working on the Viper mission, sending stuff to the freaking moon. I can't believe it. It's a, what a world we live in these days. It's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. It's not just any moon, though. 
Yeah. It's our moon. It's our moon. Absolutely. Yeah. The freaking moon. That makes so, everything special about it. Well, now, uh, speaking of which, now we've got a mission getting ready to launch off to Ganymede here pretty quick, which is pretty exciting. There are over 230 moons in our solar system, and they have the most unique and special uh, environments that you could imagine. If we're going to find life, most likely it's going to be on one of those moons. They're very stable yeah. relative to some of the planets. Some of them have water. Some of them have liquid. Some of them Absolutely. might have like something hiding underneath the ice. So, you know, hopefully they're nice. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking in between break about, you know, looking for life and, you know, we're looking for life as we know it, mm -hmm. you know, so therefore we follow the water. We're going to wherever water is because we're such water-based, carbon-based life forms. Yeah, I mean, we need water, and we're not going to have life without it. But imagine looking for life as we don't know it. You know, this is another kind of exciting thing. You know, sure. Different planets, uh, they're so exotic, and I couldn't imagine what we're going to find the more we reach out into the solar system. Yeah, instead of a carbon-based life form that needs hydrogen oxygen, it might be... A silicon life form that needs methane and we just we're gonna have to find out and hopefully they're not stronger than us so well actually that's interesting so maybe titan would be a good place to go yeah you know you fly over the surface i my first picture scene of titan it just it looked like a picture flying over yosemite and there's these huge lakes and mountains and you're like lakes like that's a that's yeah. a moon in our solar system that yeah. looks kind of like Earth. Yeah. And you realize people are like, well, those are methane lakes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it smells really bad there. <laughs> it's probably a guy's place to go, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, nobody complains <laughs> about Oakland smell. So, you know, like, like there, there might be, there might, you just get used to it after a while, you know? It's part of the charm. So there's definitely, there's, de I mean, who knows what's out there? And every time we do one of these new missions, we have all these serendipitous, you know, discoveries. I mean, with the recent Parker Solar Probe, we got to find out that there's a Venusian radio signal coming from its atmosphere. Absolutely. And, and we got to listen to it, which is just bonkers. We listen to what another planet sounds like and sounds like static with like pops and stuff. But still, it's cool that we got to hear that and that we're in a spot in our world where, you know, regular humans like me and you who aren't kings or royalty or like, you know, the sheiks of the planet, like, you just like go to like a website and hear the sound of a different planet. Well, what's really cool is that we are sending two missions to Venus. Oh, cool. So they just were funded, brand new missions. Uh, not really myself aware of them as much. It's not my area of subject, but it's exciting that we're going back to Venus and yeah. that we have the technology now to really go back to Venus. And who knows, there might be life up in the upper atmosphere of Venus. We never know. I mean, there's a lot going on up there. If there's going to be life, that's probably where it's going to be. I'm, I'm kind of thinking we need to do like a cloud city type thing, mm -hmm. you know, like some kind of Zeppelin that floats over Venus that takes advantage of its gases, you know, because I mean, we're not going to be hanging out on the surface there anytime soon. It's very creative thought, though. So, but I mean, if we could just float over it a teeny little bit and just sort of take advantage of it, I mean, there's no reason why that couldn't be part of where we inhabit soon enough. And, you know, and then I'm sure shortly after, like, you know, it has the Bay effect to it. People are going to be like, it's like 2,000 bucks to get a place in Venus. Like, <laughs> good luck with that, man. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, we have meteorites that come from Mars, and we have meteorites that come from the moon, and we have meteorites that come from Vesta. You know, and so it would be really cool to get meteorites from Venus. Venus. We, we just don't know, right? Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't seem likely because of the orbits that there would be debris that would be floating 
out where Earth would, would pass through it. But who knows? We have a lot of meteorites we don't have planetary bodies from, yeah. so we don't know where they're from. Yeah. And they're all like signatures. Sure. Yeah, and they might not even be from our solar system. I mean, <laughs> that's right. We kind of just like drift through, you know, who knows what we're drifting through? Who knows what's been here before us? Like, we have no idea. If we looked at like this part of space, you know, a few million years ago, it might have been the center of something. Like, it might have been at some kind of like, you know, black hole caldera, just like unleashing who knows what. Who knows and, what? And we're about to just like smash right into it. And yeah. We we have meteorites that, uh, in 1969, Murchison is a meteorite that fell, in, uh, and it smelled like, it really was stinky. It smelled like gasoline. Huh. And this is from space. This is a rock that fell from space. It has over 70 amino acids, Whoa. but of geological origin. Huh. But it doesn't take much to turn those into organic materials. Sure. And so, think about it. This is like the smoking gun mm -hmm. of, of, of life molecules coming to earth and and maybe igniting earth I when you i go to hawaii every year and we teach uh, kids indigenous kids robotics and things we're trying to get them inspired to sure. to kind of work in the telescopes that are on their island oh, okay and and you know it's a unique area that you never know but if there's an asteroid coming to to hit earth of any you know size a, a large size that we call it a planetary killer if you will um those telescopes will be the first to see it, at least on Earth that we know of. Sure. I mean, they, they would, they'll save humanity. Yeah. And so we just, we just launched a mission called the Double Asteroid Redirect Test. Yeah, the DART. The DART mission. Yeah. yeah that's a, a, Another a, cool name. Whoever's doing the names these days, they're on point. And that was APL, um, which is uh, Astrophysics yeah, now, Lab. Now we need the Viper DART mission. Right? <laughs> I, well, what's really cool is that... Uh, it's going to be a year before it gets to its destination over 3 million miles away. Oh, wow. And so it, it's, we needed an asteroid that actually had its own moon. Huh. Because you could hit an asteroid and slow it down, but you wouldn't really know. Yeah. So we needed something we actually knew was spinning around uh. another asteroid so we know the actual speed that is going. Oh, wow. And to save Earth, we don't have to deflect an asteroid. We yeah. just have to slow it down. Or so just that, move it out of the way. And Well, it will slow down and miss us in orbit oh, because nice. of the timing. Okay. Now, are we launching tungsten rods at it, like a pool cue, or are we? what's the plan? Are we doing gravity like assist to get it out of the way? We're, so we're going to hit it. Nice. <laughs> an impactor. Nice. Um, Good old the, throw a rock at the rock. Well, here's a really cool thing is we've never seen the object we're going to hit. Oh, wow. So we know it's there because of the luminescence that changes on a very regular basis. So, so a sense that's how we know our exoplanets. We've never seen our exoplanets. We just can count, you know, the, the flash, the dimming of the star they go in front of. Oh. And different dimming would mean a different size object. And then the, the, the periodic uh, regularity of it going around, we can actually determine that those are planets. Uh, and is that how we found like the KBOs, the Kuiper Belt absolutely. objects, like Makimaki uh, and Hanamea? And uh, well, and, and some of them, you know, so here's the thing about the DART mission, we're not going to actually see the object except 30 minutes before we hit it. Oh, wow. So it's exciting in a way because we're like, we're it's shooting like a, something. It's like a Tinder date. Right. <laughs> I'm going to swipe left. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's amazing, though, when you think about it. I mean, it just boggles my mind. And, you know, we've sent so many craft to Mars, and we pretty much land bullseye. Mm -hmm. You know, NASA's been very 
you know, I, I shouldn't say lucky. We, we know what we're doing. It, it's, it's hard, hard work. Hard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, except for the one time where we mistake like kilometers with miles, like, well, and, and that's because we were, <laughs> it, and again, that wasn't necessarily, uh, our mistake. It's just the fact that we're working internationally. Sure. And, and we refuse to adapt like a, a natural like a well, measurement system that would work. It's, like it's, a... it's our heritage, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. We're we're living and dying on that hill made out of feet. Like uh, whose feet? Who knows? But like as someone's foot is so. I mean, genius when you think about it. But uh, yeah, so it, it's it's interesting to think that uh, you know when I was talking to you earlier about you know the sizes of things mm-hmm. using uh, using a quarter to represent Earth. And using a, a nickel to represent Mars, and a dime represents the moon. So if they were three feet away, the dime and the Earth, that would be your model for our actual Earth-Moon depiction. Oh wow! But if you take the nickel, you have to go one and three-quarter football fields away. So all of a sudden, at that scale, you do not see those sure planetary bodies at yeah. that scale. I mean, space—the distances in space—is difficult for any human to really comprehend. Yeah, and, and I mean. We can measure it in AUs, and like we can like kind of wrap our head around it, but like uh, I don't think most people like really really grasp. I mean, like I don't know. The one cool thing is my Toyota's like reached the point where it could have driven to the moon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, two hundred thirty nine thousand miles. I mean, that's totally. amazing. Yeah, like uh, yeah, go Toyota. Like uh, so, um, happy about that for sure. But I mean, like the moon's the moon's definitely like a close one. Like, yeah. Like once we start talking about like. Our neighboring stars or like you know our neighboring solar system well like pluto yeah so i like to do this with the little kids like you take toilet paper and the au you talked about the distance between the earth and and the sun is 93 million miles so if that was one sheet of toilet paper you can just say that's our neighborhood you got mercury and venus and our moon and earth but imagine 37 and a half of those pieces of toilet paper is out where Pluto is. Oh, wow. And so there's actually on the Great Mall in Washington, D.C., there's actually a model of the proportions of distance for our solar system. Oh. And guess where Pluto is? Like outside the mall in the parking lot? It's here in San Francisco. Oh, no way, really? At the Golden Gate Park. Holy cow. Holy cow. That's funny. I did not know that. It's pretty cool. So you know. So not only were we the uh, the uh, speculative home of Pluto, but we were also like the home of the Federation for Star Trek. So yeah, absolutely. This is where it starts. Love those guys. I think I think Ames <laughs> is going to be leading some ways here. So that's awesome. Now, um, besides that, you guys are also working on some stuff uh, coming up. Well, Ames Ames has multiple specialties. Absolutely, we have we have supercomputers. Uh, we have a quantum computer, which is awesome. That Google just a couple of years ago declared uh, quantum supremacy mm. using this computer. Um, of course, a lot of people are questioning that. Uh, if you know the answer to the question you're asking and you get that answer, you know, did there, you actually test the system? Or <laughs> Yeah, there's a job for you if you can figure out what's wrong with that. <laughs> so now... Um, now there's, I mean, of course, NASA has places all over the planet, and they have places all over America, and then they work with contractors and universities, and but but Ames itself is leading the way on a large number of different fronts, really. Absolutely, aeronautics for one, uh, supercomputing, U- UAVs. Oh wow. Okay, and so here's the thing: air traffic control all over the world is software written at Ames Research Center. Oh wow, I did not know that. And then, plus, you guys are working on something for that's like uh, smart systems for traffic. Is that correct? Yes. 
Self-driving cars, yes, actually. Uh, well, you might be able to talk about that. You wanna, you know do, about that. do you want to mention anything about this? Well, for the autonomous operating systems, we have a variety of different things. You know, like he said earlier, um, air traffic control was really um, inspired by NASA. Sure. You know, and, and the FAA uses it to regulate the general aviation pilots and commercial pilots oh, wow. and having ATC for drones as they become more and more popular is the way to go. You already have a, a blueprint, if you will, but mm-hmm. now you've got to adapt it to unmanned air vehicles, which is really scary. If you think about, you know, flying cars one day, that all is going to help manage those, those operators, those pilots. Sure. So at Ames, we pretty much, uh, we have, we even call them that we have a, an inventor who's like the godfather of, of unmanned air v- aerial vehicles. You know, vehicles. Um, and that software package. But, um, you know, it's, it's those things that really propel us into the future. And, and we look at these movies that show all this, but it's really happening. It like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sitting in meetings, you know, and I'm like, is this like the Iron Man behind <laughs> the scenes where all the people are coming together to make sure these astronaut suits are going to withstand the elements of space? You sure. know, the next-gen Mars, you know, rovers have all this technology, but what about the next time we go to the moon? They cannot be the Apollo-era type suits. They yeah. cannot because they would never last as many times as we plan to go. Yeah. Um, and they barely made it even with the Apollo astronauts. So that material, we have several centers that are working on uh, material science efforts to make sure those suits are intact and they make sure that they're mobile enough for the agility you're going to need to do extra vehicle activity. You know, it's just going to be amazing. I can't wait to yeah. see it myself, but it's taken a minute. So you know, as things change, yeah. um, we have to be patient. Plus, but you have when, to color coordinate the shirts from the red well, guys. Well, you know, I want a, like a hot shirts. pink one. I want to see mm. somebody roll up in that, right? Yeah. We don't make red suits. <laughs> we don't make red suits in that. <laughs> we're, we're not trying to harm any of our... <laughs> there are no red shirts. Of our heroes. Yeah, because, I mean, that's one thing that's... Hey. Does. Just, yeah. just pink shirts. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, and that may be the Hollywood version on display at a conference somewhere. But, yeah. you know, essentially, they do need to have the right protections and... Um, what we call like plus packs, you know, all the materials and the things that will keep our astronauts safe and the liquids flowing through them will keep them cool or warm. They also need to know there's yeah. a place to go potty. Of you course. know, kids always ask, how do astronauts go potty in space? And you're like, oh gosh, here's the diaper <laughs> question. You're, you're just taking him on to ask. <laughs> well, I wanted to clear the air early. <laughs> yeah, we know our listeners are out there like, there's going to be some questions. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of really cool things. I mean, he, he has some, Joe has some samples here about that he should be talking to you about for sure because well, it's really that was just intriguing. Salt and pepper. Salt and pepper, right? But, I mean, how do you test all this stuff out? You have to do field tests, whether in a lab or um, mimicked extreme environment. We do that. Um, we used to have a campaign that we called Desert Rats, right? But the D-E-S-S-E-R-T, whatever, was always a big acronym for demonstrating exploration research and technology um and we would go to places like smith mountain lake in in washington state or flagstaff black lava uh, black flow lava point we would go all these really cool places that look like the moon but they're also like barren so that you can go and bring all the toys well we have one at nasa in silicon valley and it's a really cool lab and if you look at some of the pictures he's taken I could see how people might think, is that a conspiracy? Cause <laughs> you have like this 
awesome Hollywood set. But no, it's it's not. It's really cool. It's so you have to talk about it. It is a Hollywood set. Actually. Well, it can be. Yeah, I guess. You could we say we that. actually had Universal Studios at, at my uh, Soul Mechanics Lab. We call it the uh, Regolith test bed. Well, now you guys are dealing with a large number of difficulties because uh, light diffuses differently on the moon with its with its lack of atmosphere. Absolutely. And so the, the shadows become just completely dark, and anything lit up is completely bright. Correct. So, Whiteout conditions. So having a robot being able to drive around in those conditions is difficult because you might be driving right into a, you know, a crater or a giant rock or something sharp. And, it's, and it's difficult for us to actually, as humans in that atmosphere, actually perceive depth. And you'll have astronauts actually thinking that something is closer when it's very, very far away. Sometimes they literally will fall on their face because they can't actually gauge, you know, where their feet are going, and so they lose, you know, the balance in, in that way. Um, yeah, we, we call them analog test sites. So essentially, they're they're sites that we would bring stuff to. And and my lab is what we call a controlled analog test site. So essentially, we can control all the parameters. Uh, that allow us to and when you're talking about uh, we're using to develop these sensors that besides visual uh, light we're using lidar and other systems and we're trying to tell if it's hard enough for a human you can imagine for a robot that has no idea no clue why we're exploring you know it's our job right sure and so we have to uh, we have to test and train in these atmospheres so i what i brought is a as when you look up the moon there are two colors pretty much there's the dark and then there's the light and the dark is called lowlands because that's lava flow. Oh, wow. So essentially from a bombardment of large meteorites, you've created this molten surface. Huh. And so and and so it's this black material that ah, I have. That, uh, the pepper. Yeah. <laughs> the pepper. So there's a jar of it, and you can kind of see it's almost like baby powder, and it adheres to the side of the glass. I mean, it's, it's micro, I mean, almost nanoparticle abrasive particles too so this is what makes it really dangerous when it gets into fabrics it sticks forever but when it gets into your lungs it's also puncturing your alveoli it's a very dangerous uh, because there's no weathering on the moon so there's uh -huh. no way for the tumbling effects to happen or the weathering effects to happen huh. it's just pulverized material and there's just thick coats of this regolith dust all over the surface of the moon oh so any type of wheel vehicle is going to just like sink right into it or and somebody going to create foot static into it, charge it's going like, to rip through their costume or through their their spacesuit and absolutely and you don't want to breathe it in and you in fact you bring it in with your spacecraft you bring it in it's going to get all into your systems as mm. well um, but then also the static charge that you get from uh, spinning the wheels that that has huge effects on electronics and, and equipment and then the other light material is called what's mainly a northosite. That white powder is, uh, again, pulverized. They call that huh. the highlands. So you're going to find that in the higher uh, peaks. It is a, an earth rock. It's an ancient earth rock because oh, wow. weathering has pretty much made it disappear from the surface of earth. But there is a couple of places where it does outcrop, like a road cut or, in this case, a mountain in, in uh, Greenland. And so what we do is we take that white stuff and we mix it a little bit with this, this black stuff mm -hmm. that's basically basalt, mm. um, just pulverized into a powder. 
and it's uh, like three to one mixture, and we're able to recreate the actual surface. Oh wow! So I, I made a test bed that's sixty-five feet long by fourteen, and we're able to drive rovers in there and ah. see how they do, and, and actually test lighting at very low angles, because we've always gone to the equator. Sure. Yeah. Now you're going to a place where the moon doesn't sh- or the sun doesn't shine. It's super dark. So it's the fir- Viper's the first spacecraft to have headlights. Oh wow, that's so cool. Now, what is the elements that this is made out of? Is this primarily silicon based, or so, is this so that is sodium? actually a northersite. So northersite. Yeah, and it's an actual. That's the actual material, and so it's it's not uh, quartz, or so that would be silica based would be the quartz. Okay. And uh, and but basaltic would be. Okay. You know, volcanic. Interesting. Huh. Okay. So there is some silicon in it. Now, is, yeah. it, is there primarily carbon? Is there, or is there, no, there is no carbon up there, I'm guessing. Well, uh, there would be from the meteorites. Now, oh. meteorites have been pummeling the moon. So there's a lot of material that we're finding on the moon that's not from the moon. Mm. And that would be all the meteoritic material that, that's crowded. Ah, kind of like our water on our planet. Exactly. Oh, neat. Well, that's and awesome. Here's the cool thing. You know, oxygen and hydrogen are floating around as molecules. Sure. And so whenever you break up rock, you, you have these open, uh, you can capture the hydrogen and, and uh, oxygen molecules in oh. those fractures. And then what happens is, you know, the sun, it's like 500 degrees difference. Did you know that? In the shade oh, wow. and, and the... 500 degrees. Yeah. So it's I like did not negative know 250 in the cold and, and the shadow and then over 250 oh, wow. in the sun. So there's a 500 degree difference between the, sh- the shadow. So that's why our spacesuits have to be able to, to get that extreme. Huh. So at that temperature, is some of the stuff like getting to its melting point and like exactly. starting to evaporate? Exactly. It starts cooking off mm. the hydrogen and oxygen. And then if there's free oxygens out there, then you're going to get like an oxidized... There you go. Ah, okay. I'm, I am learning stuff. So even in the driest areas, there is water. Huh. And there happens to be movement during if you would call it a day as sure. the sun goes across the, f- the face of the planetary body mm-hmm. will extract those those uh, volatiles oh. oh that's awesome it's what our institute studies well we only have a brief five minutes left and i still gotta get one more psa in so i'm gonna play one more psa for you guys and then we are gonna be back talking for the last couple minutes and i think we might even bleed into the honey house for a little bit so keep it tuned you are listening to radio voices here on kxsf there The predictability of random events, the notion that reality as we know it, past, present, future, is in fact a mathematically predictable preordained system. So somewhere out there in the vastness of the unknown is an equation for predicting the future. An equation so complex as to utterly defy any possibility of comprehension by even the most brilliant human mind. It's an equation, nonetheless. Oh, my God. What? I've got some... KXSFLP, San Francisco. To my coat pocket. Alrighty. You are listening to Radio Voices. This is DJ Dynamat. This is KXSFLP, the world's greatest community radio station here in San Francisco. And uh, I am pleased to announce that my guests have been... Kimberly and Joseph Manafra from the NASA Ames Research Center. Thank you both so much for coming in. This has been a dream come true for me. I really appreciate it. And I hope to the, the people out there listening that you've enjoyed tonight's show and that you've learned something new about our upcoming moon mission and, and things on the moon and 
things taking place because it is an exciting time to watch what NASA is up to. And you definitely, definitely want to like keep your eyes to the stars because we're learning more about them every freaking day. And it's because of people like you two who are like uh, layer by layer by layer, like adding to like what that scientific like body of knowledge is. And it's, it's awesome. Thank you both so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, there's one thing I forgot to tell you about Ames Research Center. We do a lot with sports. Really? So we actually, every time they design a soccer ball for the uh, that big game they play every year. <laughs> the, the World Cup? The World Cup. I think they, that's every other year. They actually design a new ball, and it gets tested at Ames Research Center. Oh, no way. Really? And we actually have, what do they call the guy? He's, He's a sports ball expert. That's his name. That's his job. Wow. And he does cricket balls and actually golf, golf balls, balls, the divots. Oh. That was a NASA technology. So so we do more yeah. than people know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid making the joke about the guy playing with the balls. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had to set you up for that. It was all set up, and I'm just like, oh, no, no, my dad's probably listening, and he's going to be like, Matt. You know, I I have this thing. I I don't know if Kimberly knows, but I think a black hole may have come through through our bathroom because (laughs) I I lost the the dental floss. (laughs) That's not all you lose. Well, I, that's my string theory, and I'm keeping so it. Cute. That's your string theory. That's funny. <laughs> that's, Dad a, jokes. that's a that's a Neil deGrasse Tyson joke. <laughs> so now, okay, so uh, if we're gonna go string theory and stuff like that, so now the recent uh, breakthroughs with the macro or the micro meteorite. Um, what are you guys thinking about that? Like, is it a possibility? I mean, because like, like when you like talk string theory and like you know, it's like, oh, this this particle's got to disappear and it's got to reappear for like gravity that we can't see. But it's like, what if it's just dirt? What if it's just dust? What if it's just like dust that like has like the itty bitty bit of static charge and an itty bitty bit of gravity? And if nothing's around, then that's going to be what's pulling things. Like, absolutely. I mean, but so there is stuff we we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, tons quantum is when they talk about entanglement. Mm-hmm. You know that that is a really uh, amazing, difficult uh, thing to understand. Sure. And anybody says they do, they just don't know enough about it. <laughs> <laughs> They're lying. They're so, lying. Uh, or they don't get it. And, and so, you know, I, I, it's not my area of expertise, so it's very difficult. You know, I mean, I have my beliefs. I, I, I'm just intrigued by all of it. I want to hear it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're finding out new stuff all the time and, and making new, new waves and new grounds. So, yeah. It's I mean, when you look at, we talked about this earlier on the break about seafoam. Sure. You know, I mean, in a way, it's a natural way. I mean, you talk about the spirals of, of the galaxies and the spirals of seashells. Sure. The golden rule. If yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the same thing with seafoam. You, you see these small bubbles and big bubbles, and, you know, maybe that's what our universe is made of. We have no idea. We're we, finding out. We don't, and this is the exciting, fun thing. There's always something to explore. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we're just getting started. Like, yeah. uh, like we're we're we're. I mean, if you look at like the distance of time between you know the Wright brothers and the moon landing, like we're basically in like the same little like you know slice of time where, who knows what massive discoveries are going to be happening within within what we're up to, and I mean, I'm I'm positive. I'm positive we're going to see. You know, humans on on Mars regularly, to the point where it'll just be like, oh yeah, the Mars guys. Blah. 
Well, like, you know, we're going to TikTok or something. We're going to make <laughs> we're going to make these really awesome machines that are going to be flown to Mars and they're going to just start extracting the soil just like Viper is going to show as a demonstration. They're going to start making 3D printed habitats that people will be able to go to. So oh, it's wow. not something we'll have something to actually go to. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and that's kind of the plan. And that technology comes here. We could go to the middle of the desert and do the same thing. Sure. Well, with that exploration comes all kinds of innovations. Yeah. I mean, since the Apollo um, era, we really have benefited from how do we make this room-sized computer all, something they can hold in their lap, you yeah. know? And that's where we are today. Totally. Everything in this room. Now the I've got, like, hundreds of pictures of cats in my pocket. Well, there you go, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love cats. <laughs> I'll show you some of my kitty cat photos after this. <laughs> so uh, thank you both so much for coming in. I truly appreciate it. This has been a real honor for me, and I'm looking forward to having you back on the show. And uh, so I think we're going to do the uh, – this is the demo version of Space Oddity by David Bowie as a way to wow, go out on this brilliant. one. Nice. So keep it tuned. And then coming up next is the brand-new version of The Love Line featuring Alibi. So you are listening to Radio Voices. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, KXSLP, San Francisco. And time for Bowie. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, and a big shout out to Manny D and my dad for listening. Thank you guys both so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the tips. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ten. Ground control Nine. to Major Tom Eight.
And I think my spaceship knows which way to go Tell my wife I love her very much She knows Ground control to Major Tom Your circuit's dead There's something wrong Can you hear me, Major Tom? Can you hear me, Major Tom? Can you hear me, Major Tom? Sitting in a tin can Far above the moon Planet Earth is blue And there's nothing I can do in the hearts of men. KXSF LP, San Francisco. 
Time to throw out all those ratty t-shirts you've been living in for the past 16 months. Snag some new swag at the KXSF online store in partnership with Bonfire. Score shirts in a variety of colors and designs, including those from some of your favorite KXSF shows. Rep the best independent community radio station in the Bay. Go online now to kxsf.fm slash merch and shop till you drop. Shop till you drop. 